I'm your host, Ghoul the Rules. Black One Jack 2 couldn't be with us today due to a scheduling conflict. If you enjoy getting a little scared, ghost stories, haunted houses, believer in the supernatural, or maybe even a skeptic wanting to look at things from a different perspective, then this is the show for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Ed's Barbershop. Ed's Barbershop is located at 210 Lane Street, North Justin, Indiana. So if you enjoy getting your hair cut from a hometown barber with that old-fashioned feel, then dial 574 896 3344 and schedule your appointment today. So today we're going to be taking a step back from the paranormal and doing our traditional seasonal one-off episode of Serial Killers. And today we will be talking about Charles Manson. Charles Manson has always been one of my favorite serial killers because every time that I start doing some investigation and some research on Charles Manson, I just find more and more information. So to get this started off, I'm gonna read to you basically uh, some information about him and we're gonna go over his rap sheet before we get into the famous murders. And then after I get through this, we'll be talking about some of his motives, what the official narrative was. And so we'll be diving into all that fun stuff. So Charles Miles Manson was born as Charles Manson Maddox, November 12, 1934, and died November 19, 2017. He was 83 years old when he died. His biological father is believed to be Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. In August of 1934, his mother Catherine married William Eugene Manson. In 1939, Kathleen and her brother Luther were arrested for assault and robbery. Charles was placed in the home of an aunt uncle in West Virginia. His mother was paroled in 1942. They eventually moved to Indianapolis, and his mother married a man named Lewis in 1943. Throughout his childhood, Manson was in and out of boys' school for theft. He spent time in Omaha, Nebraska, Indiana, and Washington, D.C. On a psychiatric recommendation, Manson was transferred to Natural Bridge Honor Camp, he was caught raping a boy at knife point and was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. While there, he committed eight serious disciplinary offenses. He was moved to a maximum security reformatory in Ohio. He was released in May of 1954. In 1955, Manson was arrested in Los Angeles for stealing a car. He was given five years probation. His probation was revoked when he failed to appear in court on an additional charge in Florida. This resulted in an arrest in 1956 in Indianapolis. He was sentenced to three years at Terminal Island in California. He was given five years parole in 1958 for pimping out a 16-year-old girl. In 1959, he pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check. Manson then took two women to New Mexico for the purpose of prostitution. He was held in question for the violation of the Mann Act. He was later in violation of probation and was issued a bench warrant. An indictment for violation of the Mann Act followed in 1960. He was given a 10-year sentence for forgery for the forgery charge. He served his time at McNeil Island in Washington. 
He was transferred to Terminal Island in 1966 and was released to in March of 1967. Manson was arrested on July of 1967 for interfering with police officer in the line of duty and attempt to prevent the arrest of one of his followers. He was given an additional three years of probation. In July of 1968, he and the family were arrested while moving from San Francisco to L.A. His bus crashed into a ditch where Manson and members of his family were found sleeping naked by police. Then he was arrested a few days later on drug charges. In 1969, the famous Manson murders took place. He was convicted and remained in prison until his death in 2017. So that was kind of his rap sheet uh, leading up to these murders. So if you noticed, uh, Charles Manson was just in and out of boy reformatory schools and prison basically his entire life. So he spent his entire life in the system. And he blames the system on, on a lot of these things. And we'll, we'll get into that. But first, let's talk about the murders. And I'm not going to go too graphic with the murders. Um, because, you know, the murders were what they were. The real, you know, I mean, the real fascination with Charles was not the way that these people were murdered. But we'll, we'll get into all that. So in July of 1969, Manson was told that a friend, Gary Hinman, was coming into some money for an inheritance. In an effort to retrieve money from Hinman, Manson ordered Bobby Boussoli, Mary Bruner, and Susan Atkins to go to the Hinman's residence and persuade him to turn over the money. Hinman was uncooperative. After being held hostage for days, Manson came over with a sword and slashed Hinman's left ear. And what's interesting about that is this is the only thing uh, when it comes to the murders that Charles Manson ever admits that he did that. Ultimately, Bobby, Bobby murdered Hinman by stabbing him twice in the chest. Hinman's blood was used to smear the words political piggy on the walls along with the Black Panther's paw to implicate the Black Panther Party. On August 9, 1969, Charles Manson directed Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian and Patricia Cranewinkle to the Tate residence and to kill everyone inside the home. They all climbed up a bushy platform to gain entrance into the property. While they were trespassing, Stephen Parent, a visitor of the residence caretaker, William Gerritsen, was leaving the property in his vehicle. Tex Watson stopped Parent, swung a knife at him, and then shot him four times in the chest and abdomen. They then entered the home, killing Sharon Tate and her unborn baby, Abigail Folger, who was the heiress to the Folger Coffee Fortune, um, Wojciech Fry, I don't can cannot pronounce this people, uh, Wojciech Frykowski and Jason Sebring by stabbing and shooting them. On August 10, 1969, Manson led six members of the Manson family to the home of Lionel Levianka. I'm sorry. And his wife, Rosemary, the Lebiancas were tied up with lamp cord, robbed, and were stabbed. Charles Manson left the home before the Lebiancas were murdered. On the walls of the living room, that the pigs and rise were written in Leno's blood. On a refrigerator door, misspelled Helter Skelter was written. They were caught because they were digging into the ground in Death Valley Desert. They burned some machinery that belonged to a Death Valley Monument. Police raided the ranch and discovered stolen vehicles. Multiple arrests were made, and members of the family started talking about the murders.
So that was the famous murders kind of in a nutshell. And we're going to start with the official narrative on why he committed, well, not Charles Manson, because the official story is Charles Manson never killed anybody personally. So the official narrative why Charles Manson ordered the murder of these people is Charles Manson told his followers that they were going to start what he called Helter Skelter. Now, Helter Skelter is actually a Beatles song that's on the Beatles album, the White Album, it's called. And Charles Manson claimed that it was, there was hidden messages in the song to tell him to start this race war. So he told his followers that they're going to do these murders and they're going to blame it on black people. And what would happen is it would create a race war and the black people would win the war. And once they took control of the world, they wouldn't be able to maintain control and would turn to Charles Manson and his family to essentially run the world. So to his followers, they were believing that they were carrying out Helter Skelter. So the real story behind the motives. Now, he did tell his followers that, and they did believe it. But Charles Manson had his own motives for these murders. And it started with a gentleman named Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. See, Charles Manson and Dennis Wilson were extremely good friends. And uh, Charles Manson even lived with Dennis Wilson for a while. And uh, in 1968, the Beach Boys even recorded a Charles Manson song. Uh, the song is called Never Learn Not to Love. Uh, it was an altered version of Manson's song, Cease to Exist. So definitely check that out. It is, it is the Charles Manson song, just with a different name and, and a few minor things. But through Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, uh, Charles Manson got to audition for a gentleman named Terry Mulchler. And Terry Mulchler was a record producer. When Charles Manson auditioned, Terry turned him down. But what most people don't realize is the house that the Tates lived in was Terry Mulchler's old house. And Charles Manson knew that and had visited the house before. So that's why he directed his followers there. Not because he was trying to kill Terry, because he knew that Terry moved. He was trying to send a message to Terry that I can get to you if you don't sign me. And it is my belief that he went on with the other murders, um, the LaBiancas, just to kind of keep that narrative going to the family. Now, if you turn to the Hinman killings, uh, it, it was, you know, when I, when I read those, when I read my notes earlier, he came into some money and Charles Manson wanted it and he had people kill him. So what is the big fascination with this story? Why was it so famous? Why? The reason being is this happened in 1969. Uh, it was considered the summer of love in California. And this kind of ended the summer of love because this was in uh, August. So that would have been at the very end of summer. And when they arrested Charles Manson and all these people, they found out the kind of lifestyle they were living. And then when they started talking to Charles Manson and he started saying things to the press, you started noticing that this guy was crazy. 
to what was really going on uh, with with these people and Charles Manson. You see, they lived on this uh, place called Spawn Ranch. And what Spawn Ranch was, it was an old Western movie set. And they lived there, and Charles Manson would, uh, he, like I said, he had all these followers, and a lot of them were girls, and they were young girls. And he would use these girls, uh, the prostitute them out to get money and anything that he wanted. And what's really interesting to note, and I wish I'd go into a lot of detail about this, but um, he was so intertwined with what was going on in L.A. at the time, it's kind of hard to pinpoint it. But a lot of famous people visited Spawn Ranch and visited Charles Manson to party with his, with his followers, um, one of them being Jimi Hendrix. So he was one that, that partied with Charles Manson at one point. So he, him and his family were extremely, like I said, intertwined with the L.A. scene, uh, especially with the girls and with drugs. And so... It was real obvious that Charles Manson would manipulate these people into doing things that he wanted. And you, you could start gathering this from a lot of different sources, and there's a lot of different stories, and I could spend weeks just going into a lot of those stories about how Charles Manson manipulated these people and what he made them do. But what we do know for sure is that Charles Manson would put them on LSD. And it is believed that Charles Manson himself was a, a drug addict, which was true to an extent, but he could control um, how much he would take. So he would make his followers take a lot of LSD where he would cut himself down to very little LSD. So he, he kind of remained in control of himself. And that's where he would manipulate these people into doing these things. So that's kind of what captured the public's attention was these people were kind of living this hippie style that they called it, uh, this hippie lifestyle, which Charles Manson would go on later to deny and say that he wasn't a hippie because, you know, he grew up in the era of Bing Crosby, and uh, he was what they called at the time beatnik. But, like I said, that's what kind of captured everybody to, uh, you know, why, why this story became so famous in these murders, because all these things that were going on with Charles Manson and his followers. People just couldn't believe that people would listen to this crazy guy. So when you get into uh, something else that made him extremely famous is his interviews. And people would interview him, and he was just known to say some extremely crazy things that just blew your mind. And a lot of rumors started going around that Charles Manson is actually a genius uh who was schizophrenic at the same time and i remember you know trying to research this and see if there was any truth to if if he had a really high iq and i found some you know, some information that, that kind of would go against itself and some would say nah he, he wasn't that smart at all and some would say yes he was but what i did find is in one of his parole hearings um, the parole board themselves made mention that his IQ was extremely high. So that is true. He did have an extremely high IQ, although he couldn't read very well because he didn't have very good education. But when you start diving into these interviews, he would say the craziest things. And 
that even brought him more fame for saying these these outlandish crazy things and you know for an example uh he was doing an interview and one of his cellmates wrote a book about him and the interviewer asked him if the events in this book were true and charles manson would make comments like well it's true to him in his world and he would make things uh he would say things like I exist in a totally different realm. I'm on a different plane. I'm free because I think it. And that just kind of captivated a lot of people to him because he was extremely charismatic uh, in the way that he spoke. And when you, when you take into consideration uh, how smart he really was, how crazy he did talk, but you got to remember his followers were all on drugs and LSD, and that's how he convinced them of this crazy helter-skelter idea. But he had his own um, agenda to it, trying to get back at this Terry Moochler, the record producer who denied him. So that's kind of what drew people to Charles Manson and why this became so famous of a uh, story. Now, I have my own take on uh, the whole story of Charles Manson and everything. And the thing that always disappointed me about these interviews was it seemed like the people doing the interviews were always more concentrated on trying to get Charles Manson to admit to everything instead of trying to hear his side of the story. So... I'm going to start with this Gary Hinman. Um, you know, I mentioned that Charles Manson, the only thing he ever admitted to doing was cutting off the ear of Gary Hinman. And if you can watch all the interviews and he keeps saying, yeah, I cut his ear off. Yeah, I cut his ear off. And they were more in, uh, worried about trying to get him to say, yeah, I ordered Gary Hinman's death because... The whole time Charles Manson claimed innocence in all this. And so what he what he did was when he cut the guy's ear off, uh, I don't I don't remember exactly, but he had a phone conversation uh, with Bobby and told Bobby, he said, you know what to do. And so Bobby took that as that means I gotta kill Gary Henman. And Charles Manson, he claims that no. What I'm trying to say is you're a grown man, you make your own decisions, you do what you got to do, you know what you need to do, leave me out of it. And that was always my fascination with this story of Charles Manson is we never really got to hear Charles Manson's side of the story. Um, and most of that was, was due to his own fault uh, at his trial, and I'll talk about the trial momentarily, but... I was extremely disappointed with the journalists who just wouldn't let the man say his side of the story. They were trying to get him in a gotcha moment. And that always frustrated me because it's like, I want to hear what Charles Manson has to say about all this. Because even, even with, the, with the tape murders and, and the LaBianca murders, he's, I wasn't even there when the killing took place, but yet you're charging me with murder and I wasn't even there. And so the reason that they were able to do that is, you know, he messed up at trial because he kept trying to 
uh, get a mistrial. He did crazy things. He was trying to represent himself. He would come into the courtroom uh, with newspapers and because uh, President Nixon at the time made a comment saying that he believed that Charles Manson was guilty. So Charles Manson would sneak a newspaper in and try to show it to the jury and say, look, see, they've they seen this newspaper. you you got to throw this whole thing out. But in the meantime, while this was going on, Charles would do some things. He would shave his hair. And then the girls, the, the three girls, they would shave their hair. And, of course, there's that famous scene of the girls walking with their heads shaved, arms locked, singing while walking down the hallway. On the, I don't know if it was on the way to the trial or, or leaving the courtroom, but it's a very famous um, video of these girls. And I think that captured the imaginations of a lot of people, too. So you had this crazy guy and you had these crazy girls doing everything that this guy says. So it made the narrative very easy to believe that he was manipulating these people because he was able to manipulate them without even telling them to do anything just by his actions, by cutting his hair, by carving X's in his head. But either way, like I said, uh, we never truly got to hear Charles Manson's side of the story. Now, I wouldn't believe anything that he said, but I still would have found it very interesting and I would have loved to hear what he had to say about the events that unfolded at these murders and why he believed that he was innocent. Now, going back, to, I, I made a, a mention earlier that Charles Manson would blame um, society kind of on this. And so he, he would make the comments that, you know, all the people that lived with him in the Manson family uh, were all product of American society. And they were your children, America. And you raised them to be like this. And they came to me. And you're responsible. And he always tried using uh, these things to get the blame off of himself and more on society. So he would say, you think what I did was bad. Well, you're starting these wars and there's people starving and the polar ice caps are melting and you're doing this and that to the environment. But what you said I did was bad. Look what you're doing. So he did use that as a justification. But like I mentioned, you know, the, the thing that, that really gets to me is that he admitted to cutting off the ear of Gary Hinman. And I and the reason I find that fascinating is if he denies everything else, why would that be the one thing that he would admit to doing? So I wish, and you know, he, he passed away in 2017, so uh, I'll probably never get the opportunity to hear his full side of the story. Uh, if you watch his parole hearings, and he, he would make comments that, you know, he wants to tell his side, and they would give him an opportunity, and unfortunately, he would start ranting and going on about crazy things instead of kind of getting to the story, and the parole board would always cut him off. So we'll never fully get to hear Charles Manson's version of the story as he would like to tell it to the public. So was, was Charles Manson guilty of ordering the murders of these people? Absolutely. Did Charles Manson ever kill anyone himself? Well, that's a good question. And according to Dennis Wilson, 
Dennis Wilson claims that he watched Charles Manson shoot a man on Spawn Ranch and bury him. So Dennis Wilson said yes. Charles Manson said, I've never killed anybody. I was nothing more than a common petty thief. If you would like to become a Brave the Basement ghoul, be sure to share this show on social media. Go to bravethebasement.weebly.com and sign up for our newsletter to get all the latest news and updates when each episode has been posted. If you have a ghost story you would like to share with us, you can reach us at bravethebasement at gmail.com. Your story can make it on the show and be featured on the website. You can also submit your uh, story on Reddit on the sub, under the subreddit, Brave the Basement, or in the YouTube comments section. If you have an eerie ghost photo you would like to share, please email us and include a description, and your photo could be added to our photo gallery. And that brings us to the end. We hope that we brought you just a little fright. And remember when you're up late at night, and you hear something in the other room that just doesn't seem right. It's okay if you need to turn on the light to protect yourself from things that go bump in the night. I'm your host, Google the Rules, and I hope you join us again. Until next time.